If you have access to your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Deuteronomy is near the front of your Bible. It's the fifth book. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This little passage is a, a prayer that the Jewish people for millennia have prayed every morning and every evening. And it's a beautiful little prayer. It, it has a nickname called the Shema. The word Shema in Hebrew means hear or listen. And that's how the prayer begins. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we read these words. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, you might uh, have heard these types of words before. Jesus quoted this. You know, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And this is what he quoted. To, the greatest commandment is to love God. Love God with basically everything you have. And, uh, and I want you to notice a particular word in this prayer that we're going to focus on. In this series, we've been looking at different names of God, different titles of God, what God has been called. And here, there's a specific word that we're going to look at today, and it's the word Lord. And you might notice on the screens behind me or in your, your own Bible, uh, most English translations have it this way, where the word Lord here is in all caps, or the O and the R and the D are in small caps, okay? So it's capital letters, in other words, instead of smaller letters. And when you come across that word Lord in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, when, when it's written out in all caps in English, it signifies that this is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And the Hebrew word Yahweh is a very, very important word, and that's what we're going to look at today. I want you to think about the nature of God, who God is, what He's like, His characteristics, His attributes. And one of the most obvious things about God is that He's invisible. The greatest being ever, the greatest being that we could ever even conceive of, we cannot see. And so God is invisible unless He shows us who He is. And God is also unreachable. We can't reach God. I mean, we're sort of puny. Even a big guy like me, you know, we're sort of puny compared to God, right? And, and we have this little bitty lifespan that lasts if we're lucky, you know, if we're just really blessed, a hundred years maybe, right? And, but on the, on the whole scale of things, that's such a small period of time in human history, right? And so we're going to uh, not be living in this body on this earth, you know, uh, for a lot longer than we are right now, so, because we, we take up this little bitty body in this little bitty time span, and, and God, to us, He's unreachable. He's so, so much higher than we are, and He's completely unreachable unless He visits us. And then you think about God, and, and you might also come to the, con the conclusion, well, if He's invisible and He's unreachable, well, He's obviously unknowable. We can't really know about God unless he reveals himself. And that's exactly what God did with a, in a most unusual way 
with a guy by the name of Moses, approximately 3,466 years ago, about. And so here's Moses, and he has this encounter with the invisible, unreachable, unknowable God. And we read about that story in Exodus 3, and I'm going to read uh, this to you. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we have this incredible story where Moses and God have this encounter together. And it says that meanwhile Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. What a great name, Jethro. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone to look, God called out to him from the bush, from the bush Moses. Moses. I don't know if it was actually drawn out like that, but I like to think that it was, you know? So, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then God continued. I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let's pause right there for a minute. Let's think about how God revealed himself to these guys in the past. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who were these guys? Well, Abraham was daddy, Isaac was son, and Jacob was grandson. Okay, three generations. And these guys were known as the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, of whom Moses was a part. And so 400 plus or so years later, after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here's Moses having this incredible encounter with God. But if you go back and you think about how God revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, listen very carefully because I'm going to read these verses to you in Genesis 17, 1 and 2. Here's how God revealed himself to Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew term. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Later, you have Isaac on the scene and he's told these words, May God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you. And make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then later, when the grandson, Jacob's on the scene, God also said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. 
Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. Okay, get the picture? God revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But now, God is about to reveal himself to Moses in a brand new way. This is not a different God. This is not a new God. It is a new and better and more comprehensive understanding of who God is. And God is about to tell Moses his personal name. In fact, by the time you get to Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, God makes this distinction as clear as day. He said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by the name the Lord. So, we've got something new going on with Moses at the burning bush. And we, we continue the story in Exodus chapter 3, the last part of verse 6, after God speaks about him being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob It says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So, because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But, Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Now, in the next few verses, we're going to read God's response. And this is where God reveals his personal name. And I want to explain what is going to happen before we actually read the verses Because in verse 14, God reveals to Moses his personal name. But then in verse 15, God says to Moses, here's what you are to say. Now, what's the difference between God's personal name and what Moses is to say? Well, here's the difference. Verse 14 is God's name from God's own mouth. In verse 15, a different person, Moses, will be telling people God's name. Pay attention and you'll see the difference between the two. Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
Okay? And so this is what Moses heard. He heard, I am who I am. This is the Hebrew term, Ehyeh. Ehyeh, Asher Ehyeh, is how it would be pronounced. That's how God would have pronounced this to Moses. So when God reveals his name, God, when he is speaking, when he reveals his name, he can rightly say, I am who I am. Well, what in the world does this mean? I am who I am. Here's what it means. It means that God is the self-existent one. It means that God is the eternal one. He has always existed. He exists now. And he will always exist. It means this. It means that God exists because... God exists, and not for any other reason. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Let me explain the opposite of that. Some people say that, well, God exists in the imagination of man. Man made up this idea of God. You know, God only exists because, because humanity made, made God up in humanity's imagination. No. God exists... For no other reason outside of himself. He doesn't exist because man made him up. He exists because he exists. It means that God's character, his attributes, is his character. It is his attributes. In other words, God is not a certain way because man made him that way. Because man ascribed something to God that way. God is not a certain, he doesn't have certain attributes of his nature or his character because of what humanity thinks about him at all. God is not a certain way because some other being made him that way. No. God is who he is because he is who he is. It's just the way it is. Now, you cannot say that of yourself. Some of you think, well, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. You are, there's very little about you that is made by yourself. Very little. If you th truly think that, you think way too highly of yourself. You see, you are who you are because of your childhood, which was beyond your control. You speak the language that you speak because someone else taught you that language. You have the skin color you have by no decision of your own. Everything, almost everything about you is the result directly or indirectly of other factors outside of yourself. In fact, the greatest factors that made you who you are was determined by God. You cannot say that you are self-made. Not truly, but God is self-existent. He is who he is. His character is who his character is. God is who he is because of no factor outside of himself. He simply is who he is. And so when God is speaking to Moses, God can rightly say to Moses... I am who I am. Now, this creates an issue for Moses. 
it creates a little situation. Because Moses can't, when Moses is speaking, he can't go to the Israelites and use first person when he tells God's name. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you got a friend George. And pretend George is not imaginary like this one, okay? Let's say you got a friend George. You go to a party. You're going to introduce George to all your friends. You do not say, I am George. That doesn't make any sense. You say, he is George, right? You go third person on the thing. You don't say, I am George, right? So the situation would have turned out like this. Moses goes to Israel. Israel says, who is the God who sent you? And Moses says, I am. Israel looked at Moses like, wait a minute. Are you telling us that you are the God who sent you? And Moses went, no, God sent me. Who's the God who sent you? I am. Before long, you start asking who's on first, what's on second, and I don't know who's on third, right? I mean, this thing to get ridiculous. So God knows that Moses is going to have this problem in the communication. And that could, it could actually conflate Moses with the true God. And we have to avoid that. And so in verse 14, God tells Moses his name as God is speaking it. I am who I am. In verse 15, he tells Moses his name in the third person. And it's a different word. Verse 15, I'll read it. It says this. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. In verse 14, God says, I am who I am. In verse 15, God says a different tense or a different person, actually, uh, when you understand first person and second person and third person. God goes third person. This is what you say, Moses. Use third person. And it would have sounded like this, Yahweh. We say it typically, Yahweh. And that's how I'll say it throughout the rest of the sermon. Yahweh means He is. And so all throughout the, the Hebrew Bible, all throughout ancient Jewish history, when the Israelites referred to the name of God, they said it in third person. Yahweh, He is. In fact, the name Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible occurs over 6,500 times. It's important. It is the personal name of God as we would say it to one another. He is. Now, the name of God ought to be very precious to us. It should be very precious to us. Just like your name is very precious to you. You would not want your name drugged through the mud, you know. Really, when you think about it, all the possessions you have, you really only have one thing, and it's your name. That's it. Everything else is on rent. Everything else you don't get to keep, but you get to keep your name. That's it. Even your kids, you're like, my kids, my kids, I'm never going to give up my kids. Yeah, you are. They're going to leave the house someday. You're renting those kids for a couple of decades. Do well, okay? But someday they're going to be on their own. But what you possess is your name. And so the name of God 
ought to be very important to us. And it was very important to the ancient Israelites and very important to religious Jews today. And so they would look for ways to honor and lift up the name of God. And one of the ways they would honor and lift up the name of God was by not pronouncing it. They would avoid pronouncing the name of God. Why, why is this? Well, the idea is human lips say bad things sometimes. Human lips utter curses sometimes. Human lips lie. Human lips gossip. Human lips slander. So why should human lips ever say the perfect, the most holy, and the most incredible name of God? And so they would avoid, because of their own sinfulness, they would avoid saying the name of God. And, and here's what they would do. Uh, when they would read their Bibles out loud in the synagogue, and they would come across the, the name of God, they'd come across the word Yahweh, they would avoid saying it. They, instead, they would say Adonai, which is a different name of God. And Adonai means ruler, master, owner, but it's not the personal name of God. And so they would see Yahweh, but they would read out loud Adonai. And this practice of substituting Adonai for Yahweh, it, it continued for many centuries. In fact, it, it sort of bled over into English translations. And so when English translators would come across the Hebrew word Yahweh, they would use the same word they use for Adonai, which is Lord. But this creates another problem for you and me. When we read our English Bibles in the Old Testament, how do we know if the word Lord means Adonai, and how do we know if it means Yahweh? Here's how you know. If it's written in all capital letters, it's Yahweh. If it's written capital L, small o-r-d, it's likely the word Adonai. Okay? But let's say, just for, just for fun, you were an ancient Israelite. You lived a long time ago. And uh, it was your turn to read the Hebrew Scriptures in the synagogue. And so you're reading the Scriptures out loud. And you come across the name Yahweh. And you accidentally forgot to substitute the name Adonai. Let's suppose you just accidentally said the name of Yahweh out loud and offended everybody. Oh, that's not good, Right? How are we going to avoid that? Well, here's how Jewish scribes in ancient days avoided that. They took the consonants from the word Yahweh. We would say the, the Y, the H, the W, and the H. They took the consonants from the word Yahweh. And in between, they inserted the vowels from the word Adonai. And so they created this hybrid word, which is really no word at all. And it would have been pronounced Yahuwah, which doesn't mean anything. Try putting your consonants with your wife's, uh, you know, vowels together. It's going to make some nonsense word, most likely, you know. And so Yahuwah is not even a word, but that's the point. So they would read this. They would see the word Yahuwah, and that's a big clue, you know. i got to say the word Adonai there. And so they would say the word Adonai there. Well, guess what? Hundreds of years later... Christian scribes translating this into Latin. They didn't know that Yahuwah wasn't a word. They thought it was. And so they translated from Hebrew to Latin. The Y became a J. And that's where we get the word Jehovah. The W became a V. We still to this day sing songs with Jehovah in it, don't we? 
uh, but now you sort of know the history of that. There's even a, a cult based in Brooklyn, New, New York, that has that in its name, Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, and you might wonder, what makes them a cult? They think that Jesus was created. That's what makes them a cult. It's an old heresy called Arianism. There's nothing new under the sun. So anyway, that's the history of Jehovah. You can still say Jehovah if you want to. I sort of like to get a little closer to the original, say Yahweh. But what really matters is not what you pronounce, how you pronounce the name of God. That, that's almost secondary. What really matters is what God's name means and what difference it makes to you. So let me explain what difference it makes to you. Here's why this matters. You've probably heard the famous Jewish prayer for blessing. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. And in Numbers chapter 6, the instructions are for Aaron and his priestly sons to bless Israel with this prayer. So in Numbers 6, verses 22 and 23, we read, The Lord told Moses to speak to Aaron and to his sons and to tell them to bless the Israelites with these words. Here's the prayer. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful blessing. This prayer is typically said at, at Jewish weddings, right? And at other times too. It's a beautiful prayer. And one reason that this prayer is so beautiful. One reason this prayer is such a blessing is that these verses describe the beautiful character of Yahweh. Yahweh is the God who blesses you. Yahweh is the God who keeps you. Yahweh is the God whose face shines on you. Yahweh is the God who is gracious to you. Yahweh is the God who looks on you with favor. Yahweh is the God who gives you shalom, peace. When we think about the character of Yahweh, we can't help but think about how who he is blesses us Yahweh is so wonderful and so incredible that we can't help but be blessed. But do you know what the next verse says? Numbers chapter 6, verse 27. This is God speaking. In this way, they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Do you see what's happening? Aaron and his priestly sons pronounced the blessing of God's character, the beautifulness of Yahweh's nature. They pronounced that on the Israelites, and when they did, they were putting his name, the name of Yahweh himself, on them. What name? It is the name of Yahweh. He is. Do you understand that the personal name of the eternal 
self-existing God actually rests on his children. If you are a child of God, the personal name of God rests on you. How do I know if I'm a child of God? The book of John tells us how you know. But to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have received Jesus, if you have believed in him as Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, his perfect name rests on you. His character resides in you. Now, if God's personal name rests upon you, maybe this gives us a better understanding of commandment number three of the Ten Commandments. King James says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If we were to translate this uh, literally in a way that we might understand it in more modern English, we might read it this way. You shall not lift up or represent the character of Yahweh falsely. As believers, we are representatives of Yahweh. We have his name on us. We have his character within us. And as Yahweh's representatives, if we defraud our fellow man, as Yahweh's representatives, if we lie, and if we steal, and if we commit adultery, and if we commit murder, then we, became, we become guilty of taking his name in vain. So what do we do if we're guilty of this? What do I do if I'm guilty of taking God's name in vain? Well, if you're guilty of taking God's name in vain, you're in trouble. I'm not going to lie. You've crossed a line. There's only one thing you can do. Ask God to forgive you. And if you ask God to forgive you, he will. Here's why. Because many years ago, Yahweh became flesh. He became a human. He lived the obedient life that you and I have failed to live. And even though he was the perfect man, his enemies killed him. They nailed him to a cross, literally. And he died. But what his enemies didn't know is that this was his plan all along. 
When he died on that cross, it paid for our sins. Even the sin of taking God's name in vain. It paid for that sin. And then, after he died, he was buried and he defeated death. He was resurrected from the dead. And when he was resurrected from the dead, the effect on us is this. It gives us, who believe, eternal life. You understand? When Jesus died on the cross, it gives us, who believe in him, forgiveness of sins. When he was resurrected from the dead, it gives us, who believe in him, eternal life. And then Jesus was lifted up to heaven. His ascension to heaven means that he is Lord over all. And Jesus promised us that he's coming back someday. When he comes back, he will rule this world as judge and as king. Forgiveness and eternal life is found in Jesus. That is his name. And if you today want to receive Jesus, you have to admit the reality of the situation that you have offended God, and as his representative, you've likely taken his name in vain. God does not want that. He does not want you to be guilty of your sin. So admit that you're a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and commit your life to following him. If this is your decision today, then it's the best decision you'll ever make. Because this decision will last, its benefits will last throughout eternity. 